The Creepshow Chronicles contains graphic and disturbing content that may not be suitable for all listeners. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to The Creep Show. I'm Sarah, and normally I would say that's Ashley, but um, because of scheduling conflicts, she's not here right now, so I have two guest hosts. I have my cousin Preston and his boyfriend Roy. Hi! Hi. <laughs> um, I asked them uh, kind of last minute if they would be my guest hosts, and thankfully they said yes. <laughs> okay, so have you heard of Richard Ramirez? Yes. The, the Night Stalker? Yeah. Well, this is the original Night Stalker. Everybody has the hots for Richard Ramirez. Unfortunately, we're not talking about him today. We're talking about Joseph James D'Angelo. And I have to give a major trigger warning for sexual assault, rape, um, child rape. It's heavy. So today on The Creep Show, we're going to be discussing the Golden State Killer, a.k.a. the East Area Rapist, a.k.a. the Diamond Knot Killer, a.k.a. the Vasilla... Vesalia Ransacker, aka the East Side Rapist, aka the East Bay Rapist, aka Erons or E A R O N S. They not decide on one single day. Just how many names do you need for a serial killer? Was these each way that someone was killed, so they had to name? Pretty much, because this spans over quite a long time. His his crimes span over quite a long time. But he was known to his family and those around him as Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. So who is Joseph James D'Angelo Jr.? Joseph was born on November 8, 1945. He's a Scorpio. Watch out. He was born in Bath, New York to Joseph Sr., a sergeant in the U.S. Army, and Kathleen Louise de Grote. He has two younger sisters and a younger brother. He is a former police officer who committed at least 13 murders, over 50 rapes, and over 120 burglaries across California between 1973 and 1986. He was responsible for at least three crime sprees throughout California, each of which spawned a different nickname. He is known as the original Night Stalker, move over Richard Ramirez. A relative of D'Angelo's reported that Joseph witnessed his then seven-year-old sister's rape by two airmen in a warehouse in West Germany where his family was stationed. What year was this? Um, well, I'm not sure because it would have been, he was born in 1945, so his sister is younger than him. So probably 50s, I'm going to say. So after the Holocaust. Yeah, yes. Um, so much later in his life, one of his sisters claimed that he was abused by his father growing up. Um, I don't know if that means physically or sexually or both or whatever, but he was abused by his father according to his sister. Prosecutors reported that D'Angelo committed burglaries and tortured and killed animals during his teenage years, which if you know anything about serial killers, committing crimes against animals at a young age is a telltale sign of a future serial killer. D'Angelo joined the Navy in September 1964 and served for 22 months during the Vietnam War as a damage controlman on the cruiser USS Canberra and the destroyer-tender USS Piedmont. From May 1973 to August 1976, he was a, get this, he was a burglary unit police officer, how convenient, Uh in Exeter, a town of about 5,000 near Vesalia. He then served in Auburn, 
California, not Illinois, um, from August 1976 to July 1979 when he was arrested for shoplifting a hammer and dog repellent. Wait. And he was being fired. He threatened to fired because he threatened to kill the chief of police and allegedly stalked the chief's house. He became engaged to Bonnie Jean Cowell in May 1970. She broke off the engagement, however, after he threatened her with a gun in order to marry him. Yeah, she knew. Uh-huh. Uh, he married Sharon Marie Huddle in November 1973, and in 1980 they purchased a house in Citrus Heights, California. Which, if you haven't been there, I su- highly suggest going because it's really nice. How do I? How do I? Wait, hang on. <laughs> I so a lot. <laughs> so I have really bad carpal tunnel, and I was getting tired of typing, so I started doing speech to text. So a lot of this might be like, huh? <laughs> so um. I will be making fun of her a lot. This might be funny rather than creepy. <laughs> So, Huddle became an attorney in 1982, and they had three daughters before the couple separated in 1991. Their divorce was final in 2019. It's unknown what he did for work in the 80s. That's whenever he was younger. I'm showing them a picture of him when he was younger. It's really blurry, but um, his brother-in-law said that D'Angelo casually brought up the East Area Rapist in conversation around the time of the crimes. Neighbors reported that he would engage in loud, profane outbursts. Uh, one neighbor reported that his family received a phone call from D'Angelo threatening to, quote, deliver a load of death because of their barking dog. Which, I mean, I've been annoyed by my neighbor's barking dog, but like, yeah, right. During his stint as the Thessalia Ransacker from 1973 to 1976, the first recorded ransacking was on March 19, 1974, when whenever he stole $50 in coins, uh, from a piggy bank, most of the ransacker's activities involved breaking into houses, rifling through or vandalizing the owner's possessions, scattering women's underclothing, and stealing a range of low-value items, often ignoring banknotes and higher-value items in plain sight. The ransacker would often arrange or display items in the house, empty the piggy banks and co- or coin jars. Man, this is fucked up. Empty piggy banks or coin jars. Don't do speech to text when you're writing research. He would steal items like including blue chip stamps, which I don't know what the fuck that is, but whatever a blue chip stamp is, right? Foreign or historic coins and personal items such as single earrings, cufflinks, rings, or medallions, but also included six weapons and various types of ammunition. Multiple same day ransackings were common as well, including 12 separate incidents on November 30th, 1974. I'm sorry, did you say single earring i know i I laughed when i read that i'm like (laughs) Like, was his goal not to (laughs) steal valuable earrings but to just make women mad when they couldn't find the other one i know what what it's like going to somebody's house and like stealing one battery from their remote yes (laughs) just one just enough to annoy them wow the nerve i know right The call. <laughs> <laughs> so common MOs of the burg- burglaries included scaling fences and moving through established routes such as parks, walkways, and trails, attempting to pry open multiple points of entry, mostly windows, leaving multiple points of escape open, especially windows as well as the house, garage, and garden doors, 
placing warning items such as dishes or bottles against doors or on door handles. So like if somebody came in and it would like the glass would break and he would be like, oh shit, gotta go. He would also wear gloves because there was never fingerprints found at any of the, the crime scenes. So None of them. Smart about something. Yeah, he was an idiot, but he was smart about that. So now we're going to move on to some of the shootings that he was involved in. September 11th, seven, not 17, 1975, D'Angelo broke into the, he's a time traveler, <laughs> broke into the home of Claude Snelling, 45, at 532 Whitney Lane. Snelling, a journalist, a journalism professor at the College of the Sequoias, had previously chased a prowler discovered under his daughter's window around 10 p.m. on February 5th, 1975. On September 11th, he was awake, awakened around 2 a.m. by a strange noise. Upon leaving his bedroom, he shouted and ran through the open back door and confronted a ski mask intruder, ski mask lad intruder in a carport attempting to kidnap his daughter who had been subdued with threats of being stabbed or shot. Snelling was then shot twice. He staggered back into the house to his wife and he later died. After the shooting, the assailant fled the scene, leaving behind a stolen bicycle at 615 Redwood Street. After the murder, Beth Snelling, 16, a cheerleader at Mount Whitney High School, underwent hypnosis therapy in order to gather details for the Visalia Police Department who committed more research um, to apprehending the ransacker and a $4,000 uh, reward, which is the equivalent to 19000 in 2021, was posted. Nighttime stakeouts were set up near the house that had previously prowled, but the ransackings continued. Around 8.30 p.m. on December 12, 1975, a, mas a masked man ran into the backyard of the house at 1505 West Kawia Avenue, where the uh, ransacker had been reported to frequent. When Detective William McGowan on stakeout inside the garage attempted to detain them, the suspect shrieked, <laughs> seems like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> removed his mask and feigned surrender after McGowan fired a warning shot. However, after jumping the fence to the house at 1501, he also pulled out a revolver with his left hand and fired once near McGowan's face, shattering his flashlight. Nearby officers rushed to aid McGowan and the shooter was able to escape. Items collected as evidence included the flashlight, tennis shoe tracks, and drop loot, namely blue chip stamps and a blue sock full of coins. I don't know what's up with all the blue shit. Hey Google, what is a blue chip stamp? According to Wikipedia, blue chip stamps started as a trading stamps company called they were a competitor of S&H Green Stamps. Blue chip stamps were a loyalty program for customers, similar to discount cards issued by pharmacies and grocery stores oh. in the digital era. Thank you, Google. <laughs> so we move on to the East Area Rapist, 1976 to 1979. D'Angelo moved to the Sacramento area in 1970 when his crimes escalated from burglary to rape. The crimes initially centered on the unincorporated areas of Carmichael, Citrus Heights, and Rancho Cordova. His initial modus operandi, or MO, was to stalk our middle-class neighborhoods at night in search of women who were alone in one-story homes, usually near a school, creek, trail, or other open space that would provide quick escape. He was seen a number of times, but always successfully fled. On one occasion, he shot and seriously wounded a young pursuer. Most victims had seen or heard a prowler on their property before the attacks, and many had experienced break-ins. Police believed that the offender would conduct extensive recon. 
and a targeted neighborhood looking into windows and probably in yards before selecting a home to attack. It was believed that he sometimes would enter the homes beforehand of future victims to unlock windows, unload guns, and plant ligatures for later use. Because, like, back in the day, who the fuck locked their doors, locked yeah, their windows? It's true. People were too, too trusting back in the day, I realized. Yep. Seriously? He frequently would telephone future victims, sometimes months in advance, to learn their daily routines, although he originally targeted women alone in their home with children. D'Angelo eventually preferred t- attacking couples. His usual method was to break in through a window or sliding glass door, awaken the sleeping occupant with a flashlight, threatening them with a handgun. Victims were subsequently bound with ligatures off er, of and shoelaces that he found or brought with him, then blindfolded and gagged with towels that he had ripped into strips. The female victim was usually forced to tie up her male companion before she was bound. The bindings were um, often so tight that the victim's hands were numb hours after being untied. He separated the couple um, and would usually stack dishes on the back of the male so that if he moved and like if he heard any rattling like you you're going to die he would normally like rape the woman and or and or beat the shit out of her so he would disappear into the house for hours just like ransacking the house eating their food just like doing random shit and he would be gone for so long that the victims would think that he was gone like he left and so they would start to move, try to like, you know, get untied or whatever. And he would hear them and he would just like jump back in the room like this. I know. This sounds like the exact scene from Clockwork Orange. Yes. <laughs> like yeah, this is, this, so. this is like where they all come in. He's singing, dancing in the rain, singing in the rain or whatever. Yeah. Uh. So he typically stole items, often personal objects and items of little value, but occasionally he would steal cash and firearms. He then... This man confuses me more and more. I know. And what's confusing to me is my speech to text, because the next line says, (laughs) he then crapped away. (laughs) He crapped away. He just ran shit in his pants the whole time. I know. I'm just just visualizing it. (laughs) So he creeped away, leaving victims uncertain if he had left. He was believed to escape on foot through a series of yards and then use a bicycle to go home or sometimes a car making extensive use of parks, schoolyards, creek beds, and other open spaces that kept him off the streets. The rapist operated in Sacramento County from the first attacks in June 1976 until May 1977 after a three-month gap. He struck in nearby San Joaquin County in September before returning to Sacramento for all but one of the next ten attacks. The rapist attacked five times during the summer of 1978 in Stanislaus and Yolo County before disappearing again for three months. He um, would attack and then move primarily to Contra Costa County in October and lasted until July 1979. So now we're going to move on to murders. A young Sacramento couple, Brian Maggiore or Maggiore, a military policeman at Mather Air Force Base and his wife, Katie Maggiore, were walking their dog in the Rancho Cordova area on the 9th of February, nope, at 9 on February 2nd, 1978, where the East Area Rapist attacks had occurred, which I would not be outside at night if I lived there. So he came like running up behind them and they tried to run away and he ended up shooting them to death. 
Some investigation suspected that they had been murdered by the East Area Rapist because of their proximity to the other attacks and a shoelace was found in the area. The FBI announced on June 15, 2016, that he was com- that they were confident that the East Area Rapist had murdered the Maggiores. So now we're going to move on to the original Night Stalker from 1979-1986. Shortly after the rape committed on July 5th, 1979, D'Angelo moved to Southern California and began killing his victims, first striking in Santa Barbara County in October. The attacks lasted until 1981 with a lone attack in 1986. Only the couple in the first attack survived, alerting neighbors and forcing the intruder to flee. The other victims were all killed, um, shot to death, or bludgeoned to death. D'Angelo was not linked to these crimes for decades. He was known as the Night Stalker in the area before being renamed as the original Night Stalker because of Richard Ramirez. So, in 1971, October 1st, an intruder broke in and tied up the Goleta couple. Alarmed by hearing him say, I'll kill him, to himself, the man and woman tried to escape when he left the room. And the woman screamed. Realizing that the alarm had been raised, the intruder fled on a bicycle. A neighbor, who just so happened to be an FBI agent, responded to the noise and pursued the perpetrator. He dropped his bicycle knife and ran on foot through local backyards. The attack was later linked to the Offerman-Manning murders by shoe prints and twine used to bind the victims. On December 30th, 44-year-old Robert Offerman and 35-year-old Deborah Alexandria Manning were found shot to death in Offerman's condominium on Avenida Paquina in Goleta. Offerman bindings were untied, indicating that he had lunged at the attacker. Neighbors had heard gunshots. Um, there were also prints, of, like paw prints of a large dog, which led to speculation that D'Angelo may have brought a, a large dog, maybe to like. So the killer also broke into the vacant adjoining residence and stole a bicycle, later found abandoned on a street north of the scene uh, from a third residence in the complex. Okay, Preston's going to take over and read some. In 1980, on March 13th, 33-year-old Charlene Smith and 43-year-old Lyman Smith were found murdered in their Ventura home. Charlene Smith has been raped. A log from a woodpile on the side of the house was used to bludgeon the victims to death. The wrists and ankles have been down with Drake Nigel Shores, gated community. Patrice had also been raped. Although there was evidence that the Harrington's wrists and ankles were were bound, no murder weapon or ligatures were found at the uh, at the residence. The Harrington's had been married for three months at the time of her death. Patrice was a nurse in Irvine, and Keith was a medical student at UC Irvine. Keith bro- Keith's brother Bruce later spent nearly two million dollars supporting California Proposition 69, authorizing DNA collection from all California felons and certain other criminals. In 1981, on February 6th, 28-year-old Manuela Withun was raped and murdered in her Irvine home. Although her body had signs of being tied before she was bludgeoned, no murder weapon or no, um, ligatures were found. Uh, were found. There's a Welcome, it's not that easy, is it? No, it's not. <laughs> There's a victim. This victim was married. Her husband was away hospitalized. And she was alone at the time of the attack. 
Her television was found in the backyard, possibly the killer's attempt to make the crime appear to be a box robbery. On July 27, 35-year-old Sherry Domingo and 27-year-old Gregory Sanchez became the original Night Stalker's 10th and 11th murder victims. Both were attacked at Domingo's residence in Taltec Way in, in Goleta. The offender entered the house through a small bathroom window. Sanchez on the garden uh, had not been tied. He was shot and wounded in the cheek before he was bludgeoned to death at the garden tour. Some believe that Sanchez may have realized he was dealing with the man responsible for the Oferman Manny murders and tried to tackle the killer rather than to be tied up. A piece of shipping twine was found near the bed and fibers from unknown source were scattered over the, her body. Authorities believe that the attacker may have worked as a painter or a similar job at the uh, Calle Real Shopping Center. In 1986, we're jumping up here. <laughs> On May 4th, 18-year-old Janelle Lisa Cruz was found after she was raped and bludgeoned to death in her Irvine home. Man, Irvine. Yeah. Most of these all were Irvine. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't figure it out. Mm-hmm. Her family was on vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack. A pipe wrench reported missing by crew. The stepfather was... The stepfather... Forgive me, guys. <laughs> I, I, I really don't have anything wrong with my reading. I have I everything do. wrong with this app understanding what we're saying. <laughs> Her family was on a vacation in Mexico at the time of the attack. Uh, a pipe wrench was reported missing by crew. The stepfather was thought to be the murderer. The stepfather was thought to be the murder weapon, guys. The stepfather. You know, we just took him and just took his legs and just bludgeoned him to death with the stepfather. And the stepfather is just woo the whole time. Oh, I want to know what they were trying to say. What you were trying to say. They thought the, the stepfather was the murderer. Okay. <laughs> Initially, investigators in respective jurisdictions did not think the Southern California murders were oh connected. Sacramento detectives strongly believed the East Area Rapist was responsible for the Goleta attacks, but the Santa Barbara County Sheriff's Department attributed them to a local career criminal who was later murdered. Unaware of the Goleta murders, police in surrounding jurisdictions full of false leads related to men who were close to the female victims. One person later cleared uh, was charged with two of the murders. Many years later, the cases were linked almost entirely by DNA testing. It gets crazy. Just keep going. Oh my gosh. Sounds like a whole Could you imagine though? Because you said No, like, I think it's this. No, I think it's this. This is this. This is this. I can just one, only imagine the TV show. The one guy was suspected of being the murderer and then he was murdered. <laughs> Did you see that? What a way to cure somebody. Who <laughs> was then later murdered. <laughs> I wonder if he was murdered because he was suspected to be the murderer. Maybe someone got Maybe. Mm-hmm. You'll have to do a whole episode on that guy. What was his name? Oh, we don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I'm getting the bare minimum, guys. I did this. I did both of my research for both of my freaking stories in two hours. So, <laughs> procrastination, scheduling conflicts. <laughs> in December 1977, someone claiming to be the East Area Rapist sent a poem called excitement crepe oh my god a oh, poem. A poem. oh my god oh. this really is clockwork orange a poem. me writes hours wait no i'm going back to that oh come tv 
to the Sacramento Bee, the Sacramento Mayor's Office, and television station KVIE on December 11th, a masked man eluded, eluded pursued by um, law enforcement personnel after alerting authorities by telephone that he would strike on Watt Avenue that night. During the investigation in Danville, um, of the 42nd attack investigators discovered three sheets of notebook paper near where it, near where its suspicious vehicle had reportedly been parked. They believe the pages were dropped accidentally, perhaps by falling out of the back. The first sheet uh, appears to be a homework essay on General George Armstrong Custer. The second sheet contains a journal-style entry describing a teacher who makes students write lines which the author felt humiliating. Part of it says, mad is the word, the word that reminds me of sixth grade. I hated that year. I wish I had known what was going to be going on during my sixth grade year, the last and worst year of elementary school. Mad is the word that remains in my head about my dreadful year as a sixth grader. My madness was one that was caused by disappointments that hurt me very much. Unless she was a hand-drawn map of what appears to be a stubborn, uh, sorry, a suburban neighborhood. My goodness. But the word punishment thrown it across the riverside. Investigators were unable to identify the area to pick it on the map. Although the artist clearly had knowledge of architectural layout and landscape design, according to Detective Larry Poole, the math is a fantasy location. Map. The map. Not the map. The <laughs> we have got to get you one of those little keyboards. I have one of those little keyboards, and but my carpal tunnel was acting up, and it was like, um, my hand was like, ah! <laughs> During his career as a criminal, he made numerous phone calls on March on March 18, 1977. Sacramento County Sheriff's Office received three calls from a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist non-recorded. The first two calls received at 4.15 and 4.30 p.m. or identi identical and ended up with the ca caller laughing and hanging up. The final call came in at 5 p.m. with the caller saying, I am the East Area Rapist, and I have my next vis victim already stopped, and you guys can't catch me. On December 2nd, 1977, a man claiming to be the rapist called the Sacramento police saying, You're never going to catch me, East Area Rapist, you dumb fuckers. I'm going to fuck again tonight, be careful. On December 9th, 1997, 77. <laughs> that <laughs> a previous victim received a phone call that she attributed to her attacker. The caller said, Merry Christmas. It's me again. On December 10th, 1977, shortly before 10 p.m., Sacramento authorities received two identical calls saying, I'm going to hit tonight, Watts Avenue. Both are recorded, and the caller was increased uh, was identified as the same person who placed the call on December 2nd. Law enforcement patrols were increased that night, and at 2.30 a.m., a masked man eluded officers after being seen in a, on a bicycle on Watt Avenue Bridge. One spot 
Uh, and again, at 4.30 a.m., he discarded the bicycle and fled on foot. The bicycle had been stolen. On January 2nd, 1978, the first known rape victim received a wrong number call asking for Ray on asking for Ray on January 2nd, 1978. The call was recorded and the police suspect that it may be the same caller who made a threatening call with her later that evening. That hole was also that call was also recorded and identified by the victim as the voice of her assailant. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, guys, a lot of these words are not what they appear to be, and I'm guessing. So recorded. That hole was recorded. They found a You're reading the next story. <laughs> Hold on. The call was recorded, and police suspect that it may be the same caller who made a threatening call her later that evening, and that call was also recorded and identified. By the victim as the voice of her assailant. The caller said, Gonna kill you. Gonna kill you. Gonna kill you. Gonna kill you. Bitch, bitch, bitch. Fucking whore. That sounds like Did a metal song. Did you write a song? song? That sounds like a metal song. That sounds like a bop. And hardcore drums on the back. Like double bass. Like notebook and stared at it for days. I told you guys this episode was gonna be funny. <laughs> On January 6, 1978, a man claiming to be the East Area Rapist called the Contact Counseling Service and said, I have a problem. I need help because I don't want to do this anymore. After a short conversation, the caller said, I believe you are tracing this call and hung up. In 1982, previous victim received a call at uh, her place of work, a restaurant, during which the rapist threatened to rape her again, according to the Contra Costa County investigator. Say that five times. <laughs> Paul calls three. <laughs> I'm sorry, it says Paul Holes. So I'm just going to assume the Holes is called. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> If this doesn't turn into like our most listened up epi- listened to episode. <laughs> Did you know you can autocorrect the podcast? <laughs> I'm crying. Again, no disrespect to the victim. <laughs> yeah, no disrespect. This is not about the In nineteen ninety one a previous checked and received uh, a previous checked and received a phone call from the perpetrator and spoke with him for one minute. She could hear a woman and children in the background, leaving to speculation that he had a family. On April 6, 2001... Oh my god, we're in 2001 now? Mm -hmm. On April 6, 2001, one day after an article in the Sacramento Bee linked the original Night Stalker and the East Area uh, Rapist, a uh, a victim of the rapist received a call from him. He asked, remember when we played? Before officially connecting the original Night Stalker to the East Area Rapist in 2001, some law enforcement officials, particularly from the Sacramento County Sheriff's Department, the Goleta cases as well. The links were primarily due to the similarities in modus operandi, or MO, one to the of the already linked original Night Stalker double murders occurred in Ventura, 40 miles southeast of Goleta, and the remaining murders were committed in Orange County, an additional 90 miles southeast. In 2001, several rapes in the Contra Costa County believed, do you, um, 
have been committed by the exterior rapist relaying the DNA to the Smith, Harrington, Whitson, and Cruz murder. <clears throat> a decade later, DNA evidence indicated that the Domingo Sanchez murders were also committed were also committed by the exterior rapist, also identified as the Golden State Killer. And this is where it gets crazy. On June 15, 2016, the FBI released further information related to the crimes, including new composite sketches and crime details. A $50,000 reward was also announced, which I think is pretty shitty for those going after, uh, for who they're going after. <laughs> should have included a national database to support law enforcement investigating of the crimes in which to handle tips and information. Eventually, through the use of genealogy, searching on GED uh, match, so like the 23andMe service was used by D'Angelo's family to identify distant relatives and the debat database is in the system. So whenever you send your DNA to 23andMe, they're going to check it to make sure you're not a criminal and wherever, whenever they did that, they found his DNA matched all of the crimes. So with this over the course of months, Fucking investigators crazy. use the clues like age, sex, and place of residence to rule out suspects populating these uh, family trees. Illuminating suspects one by one until only D'Angelo remained. During the investigation, several people were considered and later eliminated as suspects. After D'Angelo was arrested, he was also suspected of committing the November 15, 1974 Vesalia rape and murder of Jennifer Armour. December 26, 1975, rape and murder of Donna Joe Richmond, northeast of Exeter. And November 11, 1978, murder of a woman and her son in Simi Valley, California, but was cleared as a suspect in all three murders <coughs> by DNA testing. On April 24, 2018, oh my god. <laughs> no wonder we did a whole episode about this guy. <laughs> Sacramento County Sheriff deputies arrested D'Angelo. He was charged with eight counts of first-degree murder with special circumstances. On May 10th, uh, the Santa Barbara County District's Attorney's Office charged D'Angelo with four additional counts of first-degree murder. Identification of D'Angelo had begun four months earlier when official detective Paul Holes and FBI lawyer Steve Creamer Uploaded I think it's killer, supposed to be Kramer. But. Uploaded the killer's DNA profile from a Ventura County rape kit to the personal genomics website GED Match. The website identified 10 to 20 people who have the same great-great-great-grandparents at the at this Golden State Killer. A team of five investigators working with genealogist Barbara Ray Venture used the list to construct a large family tree. From this tree, they established two suspects. One was ruled out by a relative DNA test, leaving D'Angelo, the main, back on April 18th. A DNA sample was collected from the door handle of D'Angelo's car. Another sample was later collected from the tissue found in D'Angelo's curbside garbage can. Both are matched to samples associated with the Golden State Killer crimes. Since D'Angelo's arrest, some commentators have raised concerns about the ethics of the secondary use of personally identifiable information. D'Angelo made a confession of sorts after his arrest at a cryptically referred to an inner personality named Jerry. You had forced him to commit the waiver crimes that ended abruptly in 1986. According to a Sacramento County prosecutor, 
Thine-ho D'Angelo's add the following to himself all alone in a police interrogation room after his arrest in April 2018. I didn't have the strength to push him out. He made me. He <coughs> went with me. It was like in my head. I mean, he's a part of me. I didn't want to do those things. I pushed Jerry out and have a happy life. I did all those things. I destroyed all their lives. So now I gotta pay the price. Ready for some bullshit? D'Angelo could not be charged with rape or burglaries as the murder, as the statute of limitations had, had expired for those offenses. But he was charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 kidnapping. D'Angelo was, was arraigned in Sacramento on August 23, 2018. In November 2018, prosecutors from six involved counties collectively estimated that the case could cost taxpayers $20 million and last 10 years. I had an April 10th, uh, 2019 court proceeding. Prosecutors announced that though they would uh, take the death penalty and the judge ruled that cameras could be allowed inside the courtroom uh, during the trial period on March 4th, 2020. D'Angelo offered to plead guilty and the death penalty was taken off the table, which was not accepted at the time on June 29th and a deal to avoid the death penalty. D'Angelo pleaded guilty to 13 counts of first degree murder and special circumstances, including murder committed during burglaries and rapes, as well as the 13 council kidnappings. On August 21st, 2020, D'Angelo received multiple consecutive licenses without the possibility of parole. You mean sentences, right? On August 21st, 2020, D'Angelo received multiple consecutive sentences without the possibility of parole. D'Angelo offered a brief apology after listening to days uh, of prison... Um, present, pre, presentencing? <laughs> Presentation, probably. Presentencing victim impact There you statement. go. Okay. I've listened to all of your <laughs> statements, each one of them, and I'm truly sorry to everyone I have hurt. Thank you, Your Honor. On November 3rd, 2020, D'Angelo was moved to the North Kern State Prison. As of February 2021, D'Angelo is incarcerated in protective custody at the California State Prison in Cocoron. I remember listening to an episode of And That's How We Drink, initially did the episode on D'Angelo, and then I remember listening, I was getting ready to move into the place that I'm in now, and they were just like, we have an update on the Golden State Killer. And they were just like, through 23andMe, the motherfucker was caught. Oh my gosh, through 23andMe. I mean, pretty much it sounds like that's how they were able to figure it out right and that's crazy yeah after all this time something like that can be what takes them down Mm -hmm. so yeah that was uh the golden state killer so will you have any do you have any closing thoughts or closing statements or anything it took them half a damn century (laughs) to catch this damn guy because he never i mean they didn't know who he was was slippery too yeah they didn't know who he was he never left fingerprints anywhere because he always wore gloves. And the DNA that they had, they, I mean, yeah, they had DNA, but they had nobody to match it to. Well, and you said that a bunch of people saw him, lots of people saw mm-hmm. him, but every time he was able to, he would move. To, get, to get away through a creek bed or lurked in places where he could have a quick escape. So, yep. I mean, it sounds like he was super slippery for a long time. I'm just, I can't believe that all these victims and all of like 
in all these different counties. Well, now I can understand all the different killing names, all the different serial killer names they gave them. Mm-hmm. Because... Yeah. They didn't think that they were all the same person. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it is bullshit that he was caught. He basically got to live a happy life, a long, happy life. He definitely did. And, you know, he's going to li- spend the rest of his life in prison, which, I mean, you can see the picture on the TV. He looks like death yeah. as it is. Well, he looks like he's about to be enjoying prison for, like, maybe five years. And then yeah. If, if someone doesn't already kill him in prison. Well, mm-hmm. that's probably Dangerous. why he pled guilty. Yeah. I mean, and they had evidence that clearly showed that he did it, so mm-hmm. that's terrible. Yeah. He he really didn't get much of a punishment at all at that point, just mm-hmm. because he had gone so long without getting caught. At mm-hmm. least those families all have closure as to yeah. what exactly happened to all. Like, I'm so, I mean, 60 years, 60 years. One thing that I think needs this to be... This started in, the, what, the 50s, right? Well, his crime started in the 70s. Oh, in the 70s. Okay, yeah. 40 years. Yeah, but like that as a teenager, he was committing like petty crime, like little crime. I mean, killing an animal is not a petty crime, but you know, like small crimes. But something that needs to be fucking uh, thrown out is the statute of limitations on rape. Definitely. They, that needs to be thrown out. Yeah, thrown out, definitely. Um, if, they're, if they're unwilling to throw it out, at least like make it so big that it doesn't even matter like a hundred years or something yeah exactly i just that doesn't seem right no people can get away with things like that and he was a murderer too Mm -hmm. like he was getting away with that Mm -hmm. and so why wouldn't they hold that to the same standard i mean right but um that was joseph james d'angelo aka the night the original night stalker aka the golden state killer aka the east area rapist aka the east barrier rapist aka aka the east side rapist aka the diamond knot killer aka the vasilla vasilia whatever ransacker aka a dumbass piece of shit that should have been killed a long time ago that was the creep show that's preston that's roy i'm Hi. sarah and at the end of our shows, Ashley usually says, stay creepy. So if you two want to say, stay creepy. Stay creepy. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to The Creep Show Chronicles. Follow us on social media and share our show so we can grow our audience.